0: You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land of imagination. Next stop, The Twilight
1: Zone. If you listened to the first episode of The Twilight Zone podcast, you might remember that I played a short clip of a film that Rod Serling made It was a film that he put together to try and get sponsorship for the Twilight Zone. Now in the film, he did a rundown of some of the stories that he had lined up for the first season, the ones that they were gonna shoot first. One of which was quite a different version of the story that would become Mr. Denton on Doomsday. Now it seemed to not only change in structure, but it had a couple of early names too. Um, It was, at one time called You Two Can Be a Fast Gun and instead of focusing on a washed up gunslinger it was all about a school teacher.
2: Parenthetic note here, on the Twilight Zone there'll be a variety of stories and this is a variety that covers not only story type but time, locale, the nature of the people. For example, this is a western called Death, Destry and Mr. Dingle and this is the principal character in the story. It's a Colt 45. There's a schoolmaster named Dingle who picks up this gun one day, finding it in a schoolyard. Quite accidentally, it goes off on a couple of occasions. First it hits a rattlesnake between the eyes at 50 yards. Then it knocks the gun out of a desperado's hand. And while it's all quite accidental, the various onlookers make an assumption that Mr. Dingle's a pretty fast gun. And they start to build not only a reputation for this spindly little dude, but also almost a reverent tradition. And as in the classic Western mold, every top gun in and out of the territory converge on the town, ready to invite Mr. Dingle, poor little Mr. Dingle, who really doesn't know how to use a gun, to a showdown.
1: I'm sure that had Rod Sailing made the episode that way, it probably would have been just fine and and quite entertaining, but I do think he made the right choice making the change. The Twilight Zone Companion says that Mr. Dingle in that version had aspirations to be a gunslinger, so It would have made it a very be-careful-what-you-wish-for kind of story rather than the story of a man who gets a second chance at life. Much as I enjoy Where Is Everybody and One For The Angels, this is very much where The Twilight Zone arrives for me. It's one of those little slices of perfection that the show did on numerous occasions and before the show really kicks off, it has a piece of wonderfully poetic narration by Rod Serling.
0: Portrait of a town drunk named Al Denton. This is a man who's begun his dying early. A long, agonizing route through a maze of bottles. Al Denton, who would probably give an arm or a leg or a part of his soul to have another chance. To be able to rise up and shake the dirt from his body and the bad dreams that infest his consciousness. In the parlance of the times, this is a peddler a rather fanciful-looking little man in a black frock coat. And this is the third principal character of our story. Its function, perhaps to give Mr. Al Denton his second chance.
1: I think this has to rank as one of my favourite lines from an opening narration. This is a man who's begun his dying early, a long, agonising route, through a maze of bottles. Now Mr. Denton on Doomsday, written by Rod Serling, directed by Alan Reisner, and first broadcast on the 16th of October 1959. Now what we saw before the opening narration was Al Denton being bullied and humiliated by a guy called Dan Hoteling, played by Martin Landau. This is one of the things that I get a lot of pleasure from with the Twilight Zone, seeing an actor who we now regard as part of the furniture in an early role, Uh, a lot of times before they've perhaps played the role that they've really become well known for later in life. So at the time Landau was getting a lot of work playing bad guys and strangely looking back at this episode, um, so was Dan Duryea who played Al Denton. He too was apparently a go to guy when you needed a bad guy at that time. So as Rod Serling said Al Denton is the town drunk, and Dan Hoteling and his gang seem to get their daily kicks from bullying him, making him sing for a drink and that kind of thing, but on this particular day, a peddler called Henry J. Fate, played by Malcolm Atterbury, sees all of this, and after Al Denton passes out drunk in the street, with a nod of his head, Henry Fate makes a gun appear next to Al's hand, now this gun is the third character that Rod Sailing spoke about. When Al wakes up he picks up the gun, but he doesn't pay too much mind, he's just kind of, you know, he's in a daze, he's just woken up from a drunken stupor and he's absent-mindedly carrying it.
2: How you doing Al?
1: How do Miss Smith?
2: You packing a gun now?
3: Well this isn't mine, I found it right over there. Somebody must have dropped it.
2: You were pretty good with a gun in your day, weren't you?
3: That was a long time ago, Miss Smith. Well, you know something? This is the first time I've held a gun since... I can't remember how long it's been.
2: Too much of that, isn't
3: it? Yeah.
2: Why, Al? Why do you have to drink so much?
3: I really don't know, I just got the habit one day and kept
1: to it. But the next time he runs into Dan Hotterling, after the usual taunting where he makes Al sing for a drink, he notices Al's gun and this escalates the whole situation. Now Dan wants to face him in a shootout that he's, you know, 100% sure that he's going to win. Now there is a great moment before all this goes off though and I think it's a nicely written scene where Liz, a woman who works in the saloon is talking to Al. Initially, the scene establishes that Al used to be quite handy with a gun before he started drinking, but it also shows us that even though he's at rock bottom, he still has some modicum of pride. When Dan tells him to start singing for a drink, Liz tells him not to. She says, I'll buy you a drink. Don't do it. But his pride stops him from accepting that and he sings anyway so i guess it gives us a, a slight glimpse into the man he was before he became the town drunk if you like and if he just could get that second chance maybe he still could be that man
3: Three
2: chorus is of how dry i am let's hear it
3: al oh, don't do it you give me a drink miss smith
2: the devil with him i can give you one too and you won't have to do that for it
3: How dry I am, how dry I am, nobody knows how dry I
1: This is where Fate steps in. Rod Sailing uses the mysterious stranger western motif to make Fate into an actual being rather than just a, a concept. Fate has intervened here, he's put this gun into Al's hands and As he nods his head, Al fires the gun, knocking Dan Hoteling's gun from his hands. Then inside the saloon again, when it seems like an accident to Al, the gun goes off and he shoots the chandelier from the ceiling, knocking Dan to the floor. Now he's the town hero, he's Mr Denton again, and not just the town rummy, and everyone wants to buy him a drink, but... Here's a clever little piece of misdirection by Rod Serling. When Dan says he's gonna go and take a shave, you... You imagine that this is the second chance that Rod Serling talked about in the open narration. He's gonna, he's gonna clean up his act and sort himself out, but that's not the case. And this piece of dialogue, which is my probably my favorite in the whole thing, explains why.
3: Al,
2: well, I think everything's gonna be all right now. Understand? But Charlie says you're as good with a gun now as you ever were.
3: That's what Charlie says, huh? I was good. I was real good. I was so good that once a day, someone would ride into town to make me prove it. And every morning, I'd start my drinking a few minutes earlier. Until one morning, the guy who asked me to prove it turned out to be 16 years old. I left him there on his face, right there in front of the saloon. I left him there bleeding to death with my bullet in him. I guess it'll start all over again now. Every fast and fancy man who owns a gun will come riding in down that street. Only this time it'll be me face down, bleeding to death. I think I'll go in and get a shave. I want to look proper on the day I die.
1: I think this is a good time to talk about Dandaurier, because he's absolutely outstanding in this episode. This is why I was so surprised that he used to play mostly bad guys. He, he plays Al Denton as such a sympathetic character and he totally convinces you that he's a guy at rock bottom. But he never slips into caricature. The slightly fuzzy quality that he brings to his voice when he's playing Al drunk is pitch perfect and your heart really goes out to him and i think what really illustrates that is when we see al all cleaned up after he's quit drinking and he's got himself a shave and some clean clothes it's such a transformation but he still has a slightly haunted look to him now unfortunately for al history is starting to repeat itself and when weir gets out about what he did at the bar people start gunning for him again namely a young gunslinger called pete grant who is played by a young doug mcclaw now thing is al really can't shoot that well and like we we saw the two shots he got off against hoteling weren't his doing so he he tries to do the only thing he can do and that's to run away until fate steps in again Evening, mr denton i can't use anything how's that i can't
4: use anything you're a
3: peddler aren't you
4: oh yes dealer and everything Utensils, herbs, medicine, liniments and tonics, farm implements, clothing, and potions. Oh, yes, potions. Kind of a sideline, you might say. Fate's the name. Henry J. Fate. And you're Al Denton, and you're running away. You shouldn't, you know. You shouldn't run away. I shouldn't. Yeah, I guess you're right. I shouldn't run away.
3: I should stay here and get shot to death. I guess that's what I should do.
4: Curse this thing. Curse the moment I found it. No, no, no. Don't curse it, Mr. Denton. Use it. Here. This is one of my potions. You might call it that, or an elixir. Either way, it'll help solve your problem, Mr. Denton. I call that my fast gun developer Man who drinks that becomes the fastest of the fast He'll be able to shoot a hole, through a silver dollar in mid-air at a hundred feet or better Without even aiming It's guaranteed to last for ten seconds Ten seconds And after that? Well, after that, the user's on his own Here, try it We'll test the merchandise, so to speak. Go ahead. Proof of the pudding. Go ahead. Drink it.
1: Armed with his potion, Al goes to the saloon to face Pete Grant. And just before the shootout begins, he sips his potion, but when he turns to face Grant, he sees that Grant too has a potion. When both men draw, they both draw at the same time, shooting the guns from each other's hands. And now both of them have damaged their hands to the point where they'll never be able to shoot again. And while the young Pete Grant looks, you know, despondent, Al Denton sees things a little differently. Just like me. You'll never be able to fire a gun again in
3: anger. You're blessed, son. We've both been blessed.
1: Like I said before, this is where the Twilight Zone really arrives for me. It's a good looking episode, it's filmed on a western backlot that was probably used in many TV shows at the time, considering how many westerns there were around there. So they would probably dress it up you know, a little differently for each show, but it looks good. Again it has that poetic opening narration and the closing narration by Rod Serling is equally as poetic and you'll hear that shortly. I've already spoke about how highly I regard Dan Duryea's portrayal of Al Denton but I think it's worth repeating, Duryea was in his early 50's when they shot this episode and sadly he'd only actually live another 9 years before he died of cancer at the age of 61. Now I've never seen any of the other roles that he's actually played but I think he gave a truly great performance here that still stands up today. Along with that performance is the way that Rod Serling depicts alcoholism, you know there's a lot of films where there's comedy drunks, especially you know back then. Yeah here in 1959 Rod Serling was treating it with the seriousness that it deserved, it was nothing to laugh about. Martin Landau, he was good in a small but important role and he actually returns to the twilight zone down the line, so we'll be catching up with him again someday. And then there's Henry Fate, played by Malcolm Atterbury, now none of us know what hand Fate's gonna deal us, and I think Sailing's dialogue along with Atterbury's performance very much conveys that. If you look at the episodes, for the most part you don't quite know what side Henry Fate is on. He seems to be helping Al Denton, but is he doing it for the right reasons? Until the end we never really quite know the answer to that. Is he a smooth talking devil or is he an angel wearing black? Now I do love the concept of making fate into an actual being, someone who comes along unannounced and sets things in motion. I mean many episodes of the Twilight Zone have this fable like quality to them and here Sailing uses the character of fate to really bring home how random occurrences can steer the course of our lives. I like to think of it this way, the occurrences in the story could all have happened by chance. Denton finds a gun, he gets off a couple of lucky shots against Hoteling, and again in the final shootout, purely by chance, both gunfighters shoot each other in the hand. A series of chance events, you know, bringing about the rehabilitation of Al Denton. If fate had never actually been depicted, as a being he would look back on that day he found a gun and say it was fate that i found that gun so serling's genius was to actually show fate explicitly as a character and perhaps to show that when fate does come along and deals you a hand you you really need to look out for him so the final little twist al denton has his bottle a bottle that will allow him to shoot whatever he he wants to on target for 10 seconds after he drinks it and when he turns around, his opponent too has the same bottle. Now that's a nice little twist. I think with a lot of Twilight episodes now, looking back on them as, you know, sophisticated as we are. And having seen many people perhaps use these same twists in different ways in different films and so on. We can see a lot of them coming. But this is one that I think is a nice little surprise. It comes out of nowhere and it's it really has the desired effect. So overall, I think this episode is, is quietly inspiring, but there is a sad note to all of it now when I watch the episode. If you listen to Martin Landau's commentary on the DVD, he talks about how the episode was so good because sailing was always around on set, working and so on, but then he says that he met Sailing later on in life, and he said that he'd changed Early on he was that man full of ideas and spirit but when he met him later on it was like the fight had kind of been knocked out of him. Now we know that Sailing was a fighter, he, he was fighting interference throughout a lot of the Twilight Zone and then again later on on Night Gallery his, his follow up television show where it got to the point that he pretty much had to leave the show and it's just sad to me to think of Rod Sailing a man who we respect as a genius having the fight taken out of him like that. Mr.
0: Henry Fate, dealer in utensils and pots and pans, liniments and potions. A fanciful little man in a black frock coat who can help a man climbing out of a pit, or another man from falling into one. Because, you see, Fate can work that way in the Twilight Zone.
1: I have a few people I'd like to thank. I'd, um, I'd like to thank a friend of the show named Gary, who left me my first review on iTunes in the UK. so many thanks, Gary. And also over in the US, somebody by the name of Glenn's Truppen, and I apologize if I've totally messed up the pronunciation there, but they left a review too, and uh, he also asked a couple of questions, one of which was asked by another Tom in the comments section over at the Twilightzone.com as well. Now the question is whether there'll be any kind of special episodes on things like the radio dramas, the various merchandise, that kind of thing. And I also had an email from a new friend of the show called Ben who suggested doing an episode on the the music from the Twilight Zone and, and the various themes and so on. Um, and I think I think all of these are great ideas and I'd say To answer all of them, there'll definitely be some kind of special episodes at some point, what they'll be I don't know, but I will definitely take these suggestions on board. One thing I would love to do though is a special episode on Planet of the Apes, I mean, what's that if not a film version of the Twilight Zone anyway, so watch this space, I'd, I'd say I'll probably try to get the first season of the Twilight Zone under my belt first, Purely so I can reach that landmark um, and I think it'll give me that kind of mental strength to uh, to prove to myself that I can get through this, you know. Now the other question that Glenn Struppen asked is, what's the name for Twilight Zone fans? Is it Zoners? I honestly don't know, um, but perhaps if someone out there knows the answer, then do let us know. So thanks for the reviews guys, and if you enjoy the show and would like to leave an iTunes review then I would really appreciate it, it really helps get the podcast noticed. Um, and I'll also happily take emails or mp3 clips to include in the show if you want to comment on any past shows or upcoming episodes, you can email me at feedback at the Zone podcastcom So before I go I'd just like to remind you to check out my friend Chris on the Night Gallery podcast. And you can find that at the thetwilightzonepodcast.com also. So thanks for listening, and the next podcast will be about the episode called The 16mm Shrine. Bye-bye.